let's let's um let's, we're going to be looking at this continue to look at this topic of discerning the body. First Corinthians eleven twenty nine thirty three, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, wait for one another. There's a certain attitude in that last scripture that is really important. When you come together, boom. It has to be a, um, just to encourage us, honor. And so I'm hoping we can get to that. Um, just to encourage us to really when we come together, wait. Really wait. That's why when, when I come, and once the service starts, my mind, the channel changes. It's like an attitude of waiting. You know, so you, you know, I've always, thank God that I grew up in a church that really put a lot of good emphasis on when the gap, when you come together, I was thinking last night, I said, you know what? In my mind, and I was thinking about something, that in my mind, the highest responsible, the highest conscious responsible act in my, my, in my life is when we come together. I was thinking about that. Well, that's so true. That I feel more responsible when we come together. I realized that. And I was thinking, what is the thing that I, I what is the thing that I, I'm most responsible for? And I like to think, what is it in my life that I'm most like consciously aware of? Like, okay, God, God, and I and I came to a conclusion. I said, it's the gathering. I said, I, said, I don't know how 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 that developed. I have no idea. Other than God just. I remember when I first came to the Lord, I, I was the first one in and the last one out. And I just like, that was, that was just something that the gravitational pull to the house of God was strong. And so, I, so, so I, and, I, and I feel like, oh, no, I, I need to grow in this more. But, yeah, I feel a compelling responsibility to come together. And so when Paul said, when you come together, wait for one so that's so let's let's talk about this topic discerning the body. Father, thank you so much for this moment. I'm just aware when we come together, it's like my senses are on overload. And I'm aware of this moment. It is a holy moment when we come together. You're here with us in a very powerful way. And I just pray, Lord, that we would to walk in that. And I don't think we, Lord, I don't think, Lord, I'm, I need to grow in this even more. I pray that you would, that we would grow together. And, and Lord, and what, what this means when we come together. How much of your glory your purposes abound in this moment. It's amazing. And so I pray that you would help us, Lord. These are things that are very hard to understand sometimes. But help us, Lord. Help us to grow in an understanding so that the body may build itself up in love. I pray that you give us insight, Lord. I pray that you help us. Help me to speak clearly. Lord, I think that I would not muddy the waters with my own thoughts. That we would, Lord, just, Lord, just honor you today through this word. That we would hear, have ears to hear. And that we would, Lord, just um, allow you to speak to us. Train us in the, in the ways of righteousness. Help us to become spiritual, Lord. We don't want to be infants no more. 
Paul says to the Corinthians, we could not address to them as spiritual. Lord, I just pray that you can address us as spiritual. I don't know that you can, but I hope that you can. I hope that you're able to speak to us in ways that, Lord, just, just richer, deeper, so that we might walk in newness of life. And so thank you for this moment. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you are not allow us to, to really grow and to, and, to, and to see what you have written so that we can, Lord, meditate on them, that they can become, Lord, such a, Lord, a source and an instrument of, of our transformation. Bind every power of darkness that would distract us, God. There, Lord, there's no doubt that the, the powers of darkness, the lines are drawn on the church, Lord. That's where the gates of hell try to come against. May you grant us a freedom today, Lord, to be able to, undistracted, Lord, be able to listen and, and to, and to con consider what is being said. And so thank you so much for your great love to us, we pray. Amen. So quickly, some review. Uh, we've been... I've cut away a lot of the old review just to kind of get to the, to, the, to the meat of what we want to get to. The Lord wants to satisfy us with the goodness of the house. So, so the Lord, this goodness of the house is, is, is really, like I've said, at the center of, uh, of all of God's purposes are, are centered in this house. And, and God and this house will now mediate, mediate God's goodness. So God has raised up this house and this, you know, and, and this house will now begin to reflect and, and really touch and really really bring the knowledge of God to a dying world. You know, like that's really, so you and I have this tremendous um, calling to, to bring God <laughs> to the mass, to those who are in darkness, to bring, you know, so they see, when they see us, they see Christ, amen? You know, you know so, so it's just this magnificent. And so Psalm 65, verse four, blessed is the one you choose, bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. And so, so we have it. But then we, we immediately, um, we immediately began to um, talk about uh, conditions of, of being able to experience this goodness of the house. And one of those conditions, that to experience the goodness of the house, we, we have to learn to discern the body. So we have to really, you know, really understand what the body is all about. The body of Christ. Right? What, what, is, what is it all about? Um, and so, so we began to just consider this topic, discerning the body. Paul says anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there's something about this discerning of the body. And we said last week that the, that the discerning of the body of Christ means to have a conscious awareness or knowledge that the church, by virtue of its union with Jesus Christ, is separate and distinct from every other organism. Right and possesses special, unique status, um, and so so the church is very, very special in God's sight. You and I are very special to God, and it's amazing how much it's amazing how much the devil comes to us and tells you the quite the opposite. You're not special. It's amazing, you know, um, you know how he comes to, but he, he but we are really special, not because we have any inherent specialness in us. Because of our union to Jesus Christ makes us special. Christ in the mystery of his love towards us. Second, to discern the body of Christ means to treat the body of Christ in, a, in a, just a unique way that is consistent with that, with that, um, with that special status. Then we began to say, um, what does it mean to discern? Uh, what does it mean to, to discern? And we said, first of all, that to discern refers to an ability, something that you you can do uh, well. It, it's, a, it, it's something that you do. It's not, um, it's not just something that you do, but it's something that is, is an, an aptitude, something that you, you, you possess and you're able to do well. Exodus 31.3, and I filled them with the spirit of God and with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship. Secondly, we said that to, to discern refers to a spiritual ability. So this is not a natural ability. Um, um, in, in, the, in, in the real sense, the natural man cannot discern what is true. The natural man is completely dead to what's true. So that means that when I say that's a chair and the unsafe person says that's a chair, we actually don't mean the same thing. Do 
you understand that? Is that, is that very clear? Uh, we, uh, we mentioned that concept. Uh, when I say it's a chair, he says it's a chair. We both, are we all, are we on the same page? No, not at all. Right? Because when I say it's a chair, I have God in mind. I can't separate the chair from God. That came from those material, that quality, that ingenuity, that skill, the curve. Wow, God is awesome. Right? Does the guy who, who doesn't know Christ, does he look at the chair that way? Not at all. It's a chair. So, so you have to understand that, that in a very real way, an unsaved person cannot discern what is true. Nothing, never. And so, so, so as believers, we, 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 um, we, that's why we're the light of the world. Amen? That's why we, we, we are there to speak the truth of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, 15, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, so, so the natural person is just not able to. This is, so when we talk about discerning the body of Christ, that's, uh, that's a spiritual, a Holy Spirit um, empowered ability. You know, it's an ability that comes from being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, right? But, but we're going to talk more today about it's not just an ability, it's not just a spiritual, but there's something else. And we'll get to that. But let me go quickly. We, but next week, if you have any questions, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll take time to say, hey, do you have any questions? And you might have questions. Maybe not, maybe, you know, but you might. But here's some principles. Don't force it. Listen carefully. Beware of your presuppositions. Beware of pet doctrines, right? Be careful how you draw from your experience. Think spiritually. Think corporately, right? Beware of qualifications. You don't, don't, have, you don't need everything to be qualified. There's some things that I will qualify and some things that I will not qualify. I don't have to qualify everything. Be humble. So, so, so these are good things, you know, to, if you're stuck on a qualification, sometimes you need the qualification. That's, that's very, sometimes you need to, sometimes in your mind, you need the qualification. So what you could do, uh, you, you, you can come to me and say, hey, um, and we could talk in private. So because there's, uh, there's like a thousand qualifications for everything. There's not, you know, so qualifications are almost infinite. So uh, one person might have different qualifications. So, but if you have, but sometimes it's good to be qualified but also be aware that sometimes qualifications can, can take away the, 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 the point that the Holy Spirit's trying to make for us. And we could do that with, with us. So, 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 but if you do have, sometimes you do need them because sometimes you can get confused. For whatever reason, qualifications are very helpful and they can also be very um, hindered, hindered, like the point. Because then you distribute the emphasis. It, Qualifications are like accents in a, in a, in a language, right? If you're, if you're familiar with language, and you put the accent somewhere. Sometimes qualifications put accents. Sometimes those accents are not necessary. Um, sometimes they are. All right, so let's go. What, so we're going to continue today to consider the meaning and significance of what it means to discern. And we're, we're asking the question, what does it mean to discern? And let's just go right into it. Um, first of all, we said it's an ability, something that you, you learn to do well. So, so it's not just, it's not just comes on you. you know, I guess maybe that's what I'm trying. It, it's a, a discernment is not just comes on you. It's like you just, no, no, there's, 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 we're going to talk about how to acquire this. It's not that kind of just, you know, inspiration, <laughs> a, moment, a moment of inspiration. Yeah. No, it's an ability. You see the difference? You, you could be inspired, you know, lucky charms, right? Woo, wow, I got it. You know, it's not that. It's an ability, something that you acquire, that you do well. Second of all, it's a spiritual ability. So it's a spiritual aptitude. And then thirdly, to discern refers to a mental ability. 
now, like I said, um, the, these couple of weeks will be a little bit, you know, just trying to understand. I hope, ho- I hope that you can um, bear with me, but, but I do want to talk a little bit about the mind, the role of the mind. And so what I, want, I want us to consider discernment from now the perspective, it's a mental ability. It's not just an ability, it's not just a spiritual ability, but it's an ability exercised in the realm of the mind. There's something going on here. And, I, and hopefully um, that'll be helpful. First Kings 3.12, Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and discerning what? A discerning what? Mind. Discerning mind so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one like you arise after you. The mind. To discern refers topic, I think, in our days, the mind. Um, To discern refers to an an activity that exists in the faculty of the renewed mind. as, as we've said, we have said oftentimes that the word discern means to separate, to make a distinction. To, it's a mental aptitude to perceive true differences. Something that happens in the mind. And remember that we read in, um, I believe it was um, 1 Corinthians, where it says that the spiritual man discerns all things. So that this aptitude in the mind is constant. You know, as you're moving through life, you're discerning all things. Truth, differences, distinctions are being made in your life. Life is not just one big gray blob. It's, it's, it's things that you're discerning, things that are happening and you can make distinctions, and something else happens, and you immediately have spiritual knowledge, not just hunch, not just, right, but you understand what just happened. You understand why my neighbor came to my door. You understand why you are awake at 2 in the morning, discernment, knowledge. You you are able to discern What's happening all around you? Now, not all the time, right? This is all, this is all like um, relative to our spiritual growth in Christ. But as you grow, you begin to walk increasingly in a in an understanding of what is happening. I mean, I see myself now, and 20 years ago, it's like it's like night and day. I mean, I was so gullible. I was just so like just blind almost as a Christian. <laughs> Now, I'm much more alert when things happen. That's a great sign. I hope I said, Lord, thank you. I'm able to, uh, you know, things that would get me upset before are not getting me upset now because I'm I'm discerning what that means. And so so this idea that God God wants us to, uh, Jesus Christ said, I have come to give you life and life what? More abundantly, Right? This abundant and fullness of life. And I'm telling you, it, it, the mind has a, a major role to play in that. By the power of the Spirit of God. So that we can walk, not defeated, not discouraged, but to walk in, right as a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Amen? But this is hard work. So I want to encourage us to, to really take this journey with us. You know, this idea of the mind, to discern you know, the, the theater of this aptitude is the mind. The theater of discernment is the mind. The mind's going to play a role, a major role. So we have to understand a little bit the mind. And I think this is a good generation to do that because I think there's been so, the mind, um, you know, has been affected over the last 30, 40 years like never before. So what is the faculty of the mind? Okay. You need to know that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, how did the Old Testament handle mind and heart and all that? It uses a lot of words, heart, 
mind, soul, spirit, right? There's a lot of body. There's a lot of soul. There are a lot of words um, that the Hebrew uses to describe those things that define us, really, those parts of us, if you want to call it that way. To be honest with you, um, in the Old Testament Hebrew, there really is no distinctive terminology that really defines the mind very clearly. That's the first thing, just, you know, just to be, um, you, should, you should know that, that a lot of people go through this. There's no separate word that really defines it clearly, you know, to make a distinction in the Hebrew. So we, have, so we have to really work with that. So translators of the English Bible just basically did the best they can to try and, and, and describe these words in ways that, um, that, that were consistent with mental faculties. But um, so in the Old Testament, a man in his totality, right, is a soul. He has a spirit. He has a heart. That's just really, really, that's the Old Testament. You know, he's a soul with a, that has a old reason in God's pleasure. He didn't think this was necessary to, have, to be making distinctions. That will come later. In the Old Testament, the heart is the source of life. So in the Old Testament, it, in other words, it's hard to really try to understand, um, you know, anthropology from the Old Testament. It's a, it's a little harder. The New Testament is going to actually bring tremendous help. But to, under, to try to, you know, understand what is the heart, and, you know, the, help, the Old Testament will be helpful, but particularly in the realm of the heart. Because the, the Old Testament will, will really use the heart as the center of all of life. So look at Proverbs 4.23. And this is kind of typical in Hebrew, in Jewish thinking. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence because from it flow the springs of life. So that's, that's just good Jewish Hebrew. Hey, all you need to know is your, your heart. You know, um, everything flows out of it. The word flow there means a starting point. That's going to be that's going to be helpful. For from it is the starting point of the springs of life. The word springs actually not there in the, in the Hebrew. <laughs> the starting point of life. The, the, I'm not sure what they were. <laughs> the translator add the, the color the language because. I, I, not sure why, <laughs> but it's really for from it flow life, right? Um, starts life. That, so that so so the heart. Now we're not talking about the physical organ of the heart, the thing that's there, right? But there's an analogy as the center of life, as something that's in in the right. Almost at the middle of your chest, you know, pretty much. So, so the Old Testament, you know, is it, going to really, um, it, you have to be careful when the translators use mind because it's like uh, in the Hebrew worldview, in the Hebrew paradigm, the heart was the, key, was the issue. The heart was, everything flowed out of the heart. All right? Now, that doesn't, make, that doesn't mean that there, isn't, um, that there isn't a mind or mental aspect to that heart in the Jewish Bible, so, so in the Hebrew, so that, that, not to say that. But now oftentimes in the Old Testament, the, the conception of the mind is going to be absorbed and included in the heart. So you have, um, you're going to find, for example, you know, things that we, we might associate with more of a mental activity, something that we do mentally, right? Um, we, we may, we may um, you know, some people can argue, oh, and that's a hard thing. But usually, you know, these are things that particularly seem to involve something that relates more closely to the mind. Um, those are going to be absorbed in, in the descriptions of the heart. So, for this said, here, number 16.28. In number 16.28, um, Moses said, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all this work and that it has not been of my own accord. Now, the word there is, in Hebrew, is the word for heart. Um, leave. Um, and, um, but in the context, in the context of numbers, the writer is really trying to uh, express something that is usually a, 
in the aspect of mind, and that is the issue of self-determination. I did not do this of my own accord. I did not do it because I, did, I decided to do this. That's what Moses is saying. You, know, I, 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 you shall know that the Lord sent me to do it, not because I, I decided to do it, which is primarily a mental aspect, right? Um, involves, it's going to involve faculties in order for you to make decisions. Here's um, um, Numbers 24, 13. Um, if Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word alone to do either good or bad of my own will. Again, same word, leave, heart, the idea that, uh, that, that this faculty of the will, you know, you know, that could be more related to the heart, could be, is a combination of heart and mind because you're aware of it. Um, faculty of memory, Isaiah 46, 8. Um, remember this and stand firm. And here, the, the, here the, 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 the translator decided to use the word mind because when you think of memory, you typically think of, of a mental activity, right? I, I call it, um, you know, just something that you, that, you, that you do with the function of your mind. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. The same word there, leave. You know, it's in the Hebrew, it's the, heart, the word for heart. All right, so, so you see. Um, and then lastly, you have Isaiah, Isaiah 65, 17. This is, for behold, I create a new thing and a new thing, and the former thing shall not be remembered or come into mind. Here you have a faculty of, of what? Imagination. You, have, you haven't imagined the things I'm about to do. You, it hasn't come into your mind, which is usually a faculty of the mind. So, so in the Old Testament, it, it's really absorbed within the mind. So I, so I just want to, because someone might say, but in the Old Testament, there really is no issue of heart and mind. That is true. There is not a lot of distinction of that. Um, now, even the translators, um, 739 times that the word um, is translated heart, but only 65 times as mind. So there's a lot more emphasis in the Old Testament to the heart. Now, secondly, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, now we begin to develop, I think, a better understanding. The New Testament's gonna be very helpful to understand a distinction between heart and mind. Now, why that development? I think it pleased God. Because, why? Because Christ is coming. Does that make sense? The perfect man is coming with all his faculties perfectly in line. And we're going to absorb his faculties by being joined to Jesus Christ. And he's got all his faculties in place. He's got everything. So now, I believe that by the providence of God, now the Greek culture begins to develop much more clearly distinctions, and then Paul and the New Testament writers will now leverage that and allow us to understand Christ and all that. So, th so this is good. Um, the, Gr the Greek language does provide us a distinction, at least uh, linguistically, between uh, mind and heart. So now, at least in the language, a distinction is being, made, is being made between what is the heart and what is the mind. Now, is this important for you and I? Do you think it's important? Your spiritual warfare is going to be incredibly, increasingly important for you to know this issue between heart and mind. But that's why I'm, there's a reason why I'm saying this, because, because and that's a, there's a reason why... The, 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 the apostles in the New Testament are going to make this distinction because there is a development in the New Testament that you don't see in the Old Testament, which I think is extremely helpful for our spiritual development. But, but we have these, um, the, the, the Holy Spirit now, using Greek language, now inspires the, the, the New Testament writers to now write in Greek and begin to adopt distinctions that are now established by the language, Greek. So one, you, you can see in Philippians 4, 7, you can see this distinction. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your what? And your two separate words. So immediately now you have something to work with. For the first time, now we can actually begin to study the scriptures with respect to these words to begin to develop what is the difference between heart and mind. 
Amen? So, so, so I just want to, and, and, and this is going to be extremely important for discerning the body. It's going to be extremely important because activity. Discerning the body is not hocus pocus. It's going to involve very powerfully the faculty of the mind. So we have to know, we're going to have to know what this is, how we make the distinctions. And we're not going to get, we're not going to get, like, but I think the New Testament does help us to, um, so what is the understanding of the heart in the New Testament? So, so now we're going to start to make a distinction between heart and mind in the context of the New Testament. Heart and mind. First of all, just, just it's fair to say that the New Testament writers continue the tradition of the Jewish inspired writers. They don't, they don't, they don't innovate. They continue that tra- tradition, and they, they see the heart as a, a, a psychosomatic unity, you know, the mind, and the, you know, and, and the body, and, you know, just there, there is that unity. So you don't have to, you don't have to think, are, are they innovating? No, they're not innovating. But there's going to be now an increase in understanding. And that's, you know. One of the things that you begin to see is that if for the New Testament writers, even in the scripture, you can begin to see that there's a priority given to the heart over the mind. There is priority. Which, what will the peace of God guard first? The heart. The distinctions within their unity. Does that make sense? There's a distinction. Too many people want to like, okay, heart, mind, you know, like, oh, okay, I, I get rid of that. You know, but no, you, you really can't do that. It's more like heart, mind, <laughs> you know, it's like, but there are distinctions. I do, I do believe that the, there are faculties that make a distinction, which are helpful. So, so first heart, so there's a, that begins to have a priority, which is the Jewish, that's the Jewish mindset. The Jewish mindset is the heart is, is out of it flow the issues of life. The heart. Now, the, the New Testament writer will, will continue to define, I think, the heart as the moral foundation of a person. So, so, Moral foundation. So I'm using those words. I try to think through this thing through. The heart of man is going to become your your moral foundation. That faculty of the heart. Um, We're we're going to um, just look at the heart a little bit and we'll see how far we get today. For the, for the New Testament writers, the heart provides a, a distinct moral foundation for the person. Now, what do I mean by moral? Some of you might be, you know, this, these words sometimes are thrown in. When I, when I talk about morals, I'm, I'm really, morals are defined as principles or standards that govern what is right and what is wrong. So the heart is the starting place of what is right, what is wrong. It will, it will, what is good, what is evil, for out of it flows, starting point, the issues of life concerning what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, right? It, it, for the heart. That's why there's um, a lot of emphasis in the New Testament and Old Testament, right, on the heart. The heart, right, it is this starting point. And so we have a heart problem. Our hearts are evil. That's bad news, right? Because the starting point is bad. And if the starting point is bad, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> not, not complicated. So there, the heart plays a unique, has a unique place 
in this game of redemption, it's the starting point, it's the foundation. Now, I, I was reading something. Uh, these principles of mora morality, here, let, me, let me give you a couple of them because I, I was reading something from secular psychology that I said, like, no, absolutely not. This is what secular psych psychiatry says. And this is what they did in my teaching school. Morals differ between individuals and cultures. Ah, you blew it, you bum. <laughs> right? And that an individual's moral change throughout their, and, and, and that an individual's morals change throughout their life as they mature and their relationships with their environment and people around them change. Do you agree with that? No. Very, very important, very important. That don't, don't ever buy the lie that morals change. Oh, that's the way you did in the old days. Now, be very careful. Make a difference. Sometimes, you know, don't, don't every, not everything is moral. <laughs> you know, if in the old days I came and I wear, wear, wore a collar, you know, people preach with a collar, does that mean that we have to do it that way all the time? No, that, that's not a moral issue. So it's very important. I'm not, sometimes people can stress, you know, don't change tradition. Well, it's tradition. I'm not talking about tradition. I'm talking about morality, right? So morals do not change. Here are some principles that you should know that. Moral, morality, moral principles are established by whom? By God. You got you to gotta understand that. And that's why an understanding of the heart and mind connection and, 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 and how essentially, we'll talk about this, man is a moral agent, right? You, you can't escape it. So, so these, this moral begins, God establishes it. Not you, definitely not your feelings. <laughs> it's like your feelings have nothing to do with what's right and what's wrong, period. I got to stress that, especially for the young youth. You're going to hear the opposite. It's a lie. Morals do not change. But you got to find out. You got to go to the word. Don't make it up. Don't assume. A lot of people assume this is moral and they get upset. But is it really? It's not a moral. It's not a moral issue. Right? We got to look. God has to define that. For us, even by me saying that God established doesn't get me off the hook. I, well, well, what has God established? Well, I don't know. <laughs> then that doesn't help. We got to realize that morals are, are are established by God. Amen. No man can create or establish a moral law. No man. The only one that can establish a moral law is a moral law giver. Period. Period. So we have to really know what, 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 that's why we need to know God because he has moral, he has established morals. And, and even that word is kind of because really all morality just comes from who he is. He doesn't have to establish them. He just has to communicate. <laughs> but it's him. It's really all morality is him. Secondly, moral principles are fixed and unchanging because God is unchanging. So if, if homosexuality was an abomination in the past, what is it now in the 21st century? An abomination. Don't be afraid to use that word. I mean, God says an abomination. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what else to tell you. That cannot change. Cannot. If God says adultery is sinful in the 21st century, adultery is, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, morality is fixed, doesn't change. We just got to be smart about what is moral. Does that make sense? So many times it's like um, we can get bent out of shape, you know, by doing things and we think, oh, that's a sin. Right? Well, is drinking a beer sin? 
No. That's not a sin. What's a sin? Getting drunk. Right? So if you're drunk, you know, in the first century, it's a sin. In the 21st century, it's a sin. It's not more sin. It's just sin. It's just sin, right? So, so this is God. Praise God. We're the ones that get messed up. We want to redefine the rules, and then we're like, oh, we're much better, and we're all messed up. <laughs> we're like, you know, just like, but if we just did it God's way, if we just accept God's laws, of, right, it would be amazing how much it would go, go better for us. Isn't that such an understatement? But we have to be innovative. Let's not be innovative. Amen? Let, 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 let's really, that's why I get into the scriptures because God has established morals in our society. I mean, for the past 50 years, society's been saying, oh, they, you define what's right and wrong. No, you don't. Don't buy that. Don't buy that. You're going you're gonna to face Godzilla one day. <laughs> and Godzilla's not going to be very happy. <laughs> He's the moral lawgiver. God is the moral lawgiver. You don't make up your own laws. God establishes them, and he fixes them forever. Amen? So secondly, man is a moral agent. What do I mean by that? What does that mean? We know right and wrong. That's right. You are a moral agent. God has made you a moral agent. I don't think that there is nothing that you can do that is ultimately not moral. Think about that. Everything that we do, I believe, everything that we do, from putting on my socks to brushing my teeth, everything has a moral implication, either directly or indirectly. Right? You have, to think, think, you have to think a little deeper about this, but that's how we're constituted. Can God do anything that is not moral? Everything that he does is good. He never does evil, but he does good. Right? All the time. Can he do something that's like neither good nor evil? Can he do something like this, Greg, just like he, he, he did something. It, it, it didn't register in the scale. No, it's always good. It always has a moral good, fantastic good. He did it again, fantastic good. Nothing's ever neutral with God. I believe we're the same way. Now, do we live like that consciously? No, none of us do, right? But, but it's good to know that all that you do has moral implications. There's a moral dimension to everything that we do. That calls for a responsibility of managing my life in such a way, right? If I know that everything that I do has moral implications, I think about what I'm about to do, right? The response, the, the, the awareness of responsibility of how I, I carry myself, how, what I think, what I do, what I not do, now I think about it. But why? Because I'm aware that I'm a moral agent. I'm, I'm here to do what? The will of God. That's, that's it. I'm here to fulfill his will. Is he calls us to fulfill his will twice a week? You know, two times a month? No. We're walking. Praise God for the blood, right? Praise God for Jesus, right? I'm like, oh, God. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think about this. I say, oh, God, thank you for Jesus. <laughs> because we're like so out of, we're like in La La Land 98.2% of the time. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> but praise God for the spirit of God. But it, I love it. I, I, I'm not condemned. I know I fall short. I'm, not that I'm okay with that, but I know I'm, I fall short all the time. But it gives me an opportunity to boast in Jesus Christ and to say, wow, he, Jesus, lived every single moment completely connected, all the wires, perfectly to God's will 
everything. He got up exactly at what time God wanted him. He went to sleep exactly at what time. He sneezed at just the right moment that the father said, now you can Is that amazing? He didn't just live his life like casually. He was a moral perfection. When he said, good morning, mother, it was perfect. When he spoke to his brother James, hey, James, can I help you with that toy? It was perfect. No envy, no jealousy, no like, I wish I had that toy. You know, none of that. Perfect. When he was tempted, he perfectly turned to the father. Wow. Is he worthy of praise? So our, our failures are just an opportunity to boast of Jesus Christ. You don't need to be, you don't need to like, you know, be ashamed. Glory to Jesus. What a wonderful man. Yep, me? When I was brushing my teeth this morning, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> we do that all the time. But there was never a moment where Jesus did not have the Father. 3D. High definition. So I was, it was like just. <laughs> how about you this morning? <laughs> how many times? It was like just. <laughs> just pixels on the screen. <laughs> Lord, are you still there? <laughs> you know, but it's beautiful. That's Jesus. That's why we worship him. Do you know that? His, his life was fantastic. Absolutely Think about every day that he did, when he went, when he sat down, when he went to this person, when little things they did, when he bent down, everything was perfect. Amen. We're moral agents. Man has the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong. That's what it means. Uh, there's, a, there's at least three things that this means. First of all, man has the ability to discern. You have the ability to discern. What is right, what is wrong? Now, of course, this discernment is different than the discernment that we're talking about. But nevertheless, it's something there. Look at Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 19. So this is not the same. This is not a discernment that produces truth. So not, not that kind of discernment. But nevertheless, there is as a moral agent, as a moral being, there is a knowledge about what is right and what is wrong in every human being. For what can be known about God is plain to them. What does God say? He says, he's talking about the unbeliever, those who do not belong to him. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because they got it on the CNN news? Because um, somebody wrote a really nifty book that really answered all the questions of life? You know? um, it, was it because somebody really? No, because God himself has shown it to them. God, God has shown it to them. Not an angel. Not, you know, some, you know, Moses, Elijah, right? God has shown it. To, God himself was the teacher. I'm going to show it to you. What can be known about him? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. They perceive it. I don't care if you're an atheist. Don't ever buy that. They're not an atheist. They know because God has what? Shown it to them. God did not say, oh, I forgot that one. Oh, man, I forgot that one. That God, there is nobody that God forgets. Every single person God has personally shown it to them. Now, you might say, why? That's hard to believe. Are you serious? Um, how about the Chinese that, that live in, in, in the village? And, uh, I, I don't care. His word. God has shown it to them. Word. I'm going to believe God's word. God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they, so they are without, without excuse. 
Nobody will have an excuse on that day. Nobody. Secondly, to be a moral agent means that man has a moral responsibility to God. Right? That is all over the Bible. We have a moral responsibility. We have a, a responsibility to live according to the moral light of God. And that you have in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slaves. You shall have no other gods before me. That's, that's moral responsibility. Sorry. God has spoken. You and I are under, right? God has spoken. You shall have no, but, but, but you are a moral agent. You cannot just do what you want and get away with it. All of us are moral agents, moral people, and, and, and God is, is, has held us um, to this responsibility. And then thirdly, not only are we able to discern what is right and wrong, because God has shown it to us, we have a moral responsibility to the commands of God. Um, we will be held accountable. A moral agent means that one day you will be held accountable. We will be held accountable before God, right? Matthew 12, 36. So, Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. The only reason God, that is possible is because we are moral agents. We are moral beings. Right? We know God has shown it to us. God is going to hold us responsible for what we know. And then one day, we will have to give an account. Very simple. Not, it's not, you know, this idea that you can do what you want, live life, whatever you do. I can choose what I want. I can choose any gender. I'm sorry. You can't. One day, we will all have to give an account before God. Right? So that's what, man is a moral agent. And the, the, the center of, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll start with this, but then I'm going to end. We'll continue next week. In the New Testament, the center and foundation of man's moral agency is the heart, the foundation. So in the New Testament, you really start to see um, um, the heart as providing a moral foundation. Um, and so now what are some ways that the Bible describes the heart as this moral foundation? So let me, let me give you some scriptures that we could see just to, you know, um, and, 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 in, and in seeing these scriptures, we, we, we begin to develop um, this idea of the heart in a more clear way. The heart is the foundational place of spiritual darkness. So the darkness, when we talk about darkness, the place where that darkness is in the heart. Look at um, Romans 1, Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became, became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The heart um, is also, according to the New Testament writers, the place where the light of Christ shines. So it's like that beginning, um, this foundational. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shown where? In our hearts, right? So understand that the New Testament writers already have a distinction between heart and mind. They're operating with a greater understanding that there is a distinction between heart and mind. And Paul, in this case, understands that the light of Jesus Christ has come into that sphere of the heart uh, as the foundation, the beginning, right? This is... This is, this is great news. This is fantastic news to, to us um, that, that, that right at, the, at, the, at our foundation, moral foundation, Christ's light is now going to enter in. And so amen to, to, to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes light in the New Testament is a metaphor for knowledge, the true knowledge of God. So that, that initial knowledge, which is eternal life, Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they might know you, right? 
So that initial impact of that knowledge uh, has make, makes its impact in the, in the heart. Thirdly, the heart is the foundational place where God pours his love. So here here's, we start to begin to, you know, Romans 5, 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured, where? Into our hearts. That, again, very, very helpful to understand, again, something about this heart, this foundational moral sphere. The heart is going to become the fountain and seat of our affections, our emotions, things that you, that's where love is going to flow. It's the heart, right? So Paul knows that. Paul is not confused about that. The, the love of Christ, the love of God is going to be shed, not in your minds, but where? In your heart. That's that what receives. That's what receives the love of Christ. That's what the, 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 the affections of our hearts will be radically um, affected by the love of God and so that the heart becomes a container for the love of God. Here, here's another one. The heart is the foundational place where the spirit dwells. Look at Galatians 4, 6. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. Where? Into our hearts. And you, and you can see immediately that when he sends the spirit of his son into our hearts, it generates affections. You see that? Abba, Father. Longings, desires. Right? The, the, the heart is the seat of our desire. It is where pleasure is chewed on. <laughs> right? It's the heart. You know, may the, may the king give you his, your heart's desire. So that now you begin to develop, the, begin to see the heart as this place. The heart is this incredible yearning and longing, this, this composite of, of desires, right, for God. And it's also the heart is the foundational place where Christ dwells. Look at Ephesians 3.17. Ephesians 3. So that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts faith, that you're being rooted and grounded in love. So in the New Testament, as in the Old Testament, the heart is the moral foundation, sense of a person's being. Now, like I said, this is, I'm going to end with this, but this is great, great news. And this is important to know because this is going to help us. Does it help, does it help you to know that the, the heart is the moral foundation of your life? Well, it's extremely encouraging. Why is that? Because there's going to be a promise given. Ezekiel 36, 26. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you what? Eh, okay. A little bit. A little exciting. A little bit. He will give you what? A new heart. He's giving you a new, a new moral foundation. That's, that's why the heart is so important to know. Because as you understand what the heart is and the critical role it plays in our lives, whether you are aware of it or not, it's not based on your awareness. But when God says, I'm going to give you a new heart, we should jump for joy. We, we should be like, because it's like, we got a foundation, right? We, we, we got a new foundation. I will give you that sheer love, sheer step. I, myself, I'm not delivering it on the email. I'm not shipping it to UPS. I'm going to deliver it myself. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. I'm going to remove. Who's going to do it? God is. Do you have to be afraid of your heart? No, because God has already promised, and if you have Christ in your life, I don't care where you're at, you have a new heart and a new spirit within you, and he is removing, right? He's removing that heart of stone from your flesh, giving you a heart of flesh, right? So, so, so this idea that the, 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 that the mind is our moral foundation is important to know 
because we can now begin to appreciate the promises of God for a new heart. But it's important to understand how that heart engages. It's not just the, the good news of having a new heart. But it's the fact that how now that heart is going to engage and interact with the mind. You're not out of the woods yet. Sorry. Next week we're going to look at what in the world is the faculty of the mind then? And how do those two relate? That I believe is extremely helpful for us in our spiritual war against the enemy. Let me tell you one thing. Satan knows exactly how you're constituted. He is not confused. He's not like, uh, hey, Jimmy, you want to throw something to uh, the heart or the mind or the elbow? Uh, just, just throw it out there. <laughs> no, he's not like that. He's not like that. The devil knows exactly what you're made out of. He knows the difference between the heart and mind. He knows it. The question is, do we know it? But hopefully after this, we'll get to know a little better. You understand? Mm, heart, mind. Here. The mind. Now, I pointed here, which is not a good thing, because I pointed brain, you know, brain, you know, my brain. Yeah. <laughs> God has given us a new heart, a new moral foundation. The heart is our moral foundation, but he's promised us a new heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this morning. There is so much to be said. We just want to grow in our understanding of who you are, Jesus, so that we may understand the things that have been freely given to us. And one thing we found out today, Lord, you have given us a new heart. Oh, what an encouragement that is. That means that we have the affections of Christ in us. We have been, Lord, this new heart comes from you. It means that, Lord, um, you have satisfied the conditions in us so that we may receive the love of God. The heart is the recipient of the love of Christ. And perhaps there are some here, Jesus, that don't really feel that affectionate towards you. Or perhaps... Their heart is growing colder and colder, more distant. And they, I pray, Lord, that you would remind them of the promise of Ezekiel. And that they would cleave to Jesus Christ, who is our life. And that we would not allow the devil to condemn us for lack of emotion, lack of feeling. But that we would, Lord, by faith, draw from the heart of affections that you've given us, this heart of Jesus. It's your life, Lord. And I just pray today, oh God, may we, may we walk according to these new affections in us. Help us, Lord, today to, to just... Uh, stir up in us, Lord, renewed affections for you, Lord, and that we would truly um, exhibit qualities that give evidence to that new heart in us. Oh, Lord, it begins in the heart, and you have begun there. You began there. You began there. You started there. And I just pray today, Lord, that you would, Lord, help us. First of all, to believe the promises of God. And then to second of all, Lord, to really believe, Lord, that you want to make us full of your desires. That our lives will be governed by the desires of God. That we would truly delight ourselves in the Lord. So that he may give us the desires of our heart.
because your desire is good. And so to this morning, encourage your people today. Strengthen us all, Lord, to, Lord, to just submit ourselves daily to you, Lord, in hope of all that you have done in our lives through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much this morning. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon all the fathers that are here, that you would bless their day today, that they will be filled with joy, that they will be filled with good things, Lord, today. And Lord, that we would all be grateful to our Heavenly Father for all that you give us. And so, Lord, we thank you this, this afternoon. Thank you for this word. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the songs and the music. And Lord, bless your people as they go home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. We're going to dismiss. You know, go ahead, enjoy your families if you're going to go visit mom, dad. Um, and so we'll see you, most of you guys, Tuesday. What was that? Good. Football practice over? Good. Maybe we could stretch that to about 2024. Maybe we could stretch that towards 2024, yeah?